Welcome to Behind the Smoke Podcast, Barbecue War Stories. My name is Sean Walchef with Cali Comfort Barbecue. We are recording above the original butcher shop with my man Derek Marso from Valley Farm Market. Happy uh, Thanksgiving episode, episode number 80. Is that is this one that's going to come out? Yep. Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Day gobble, after gobble. Thanksgiving. The gobble, gobble, gobble. Oh, day after Thanksgiving. Yep. That's exciting. Everyone's going to be gluttonous on, on Thanksgiving, just lounging on the couches. And um, we hope people don't ruin thanksgiving dinner like we have multiple times with our turkeys um but yeah man happy thanksgiving to everyone we're you know very thankful and um you know we're we're thankful for the listeners and everyone that tunes in every week so thank you for uh, tuning in again listening to us um we're excited we have a lot going on if you guys listened to our last week's we um opened up about opening a new grocery store out in la jolla that will be valley farm number two and uh you know, we're in the thick of it, just going through it, um, you know, going through our plans, having the anxieties, the the sleepless nights. I, I probably haven't slept in <clears throat> four nights. My wife is probably pretty mad at me for uh, moving around all night, but, you know, it is what it is. And I guess it's not going to be uh, worth it if uh, we didn't have these sleepless nights. Yeah, for us, uh, obviously, we're grateful for everyone that's been listening to this podcast, episode number 80, um, going behind the smoke every single week. Hopefully, we're bringing you value every week and uh, learning something. I know Derek and I have learned a lot from our guests, and every week we're trying to bring on somebody that uh, that we respect, a leader in the industry, somebody in the hospitality business, somebody that may be in media, somebody maybe in um, entrepreneurship. Today's guest is someone that is uh, close to Cali Comfort Barbecue, uh, somebody that we've known, geez, I think we met 2012? Yeah, six years ago. Six years ago. So Sydney Lynn from Restaurant Solutions, Inc. Um, She's our special guest today. We wanted to kind of uh, bring on the X's and O's of the restaurant business. Uh, We have a lot of people that listen to the podcast that they want to open up a restaurant um, or they are running a restaurant. For us, uh, it was very important early on. Uh, Restaurant Owner Magazine is something that I've subscribed to. Eric, my general manager, him and I read it every month. Uh, Typically, they always talked about having a weekly profit and loss statement. Um, A weekly profit and loss statement is next to impossible to do unless you set up the systems correctly. Um, Restaurant Solutions is a company that's based out of Littleton, Colorado that helps independent restaurant owners do exactly that and uh, do a weekly inventory in order to get a weekly profit and loss statement. So Sydney, tell us a little bit uh, just about the company. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, I've definitely been enjoying working with you for the last six years. And <laughs> well, we're still open, so that's good. <laughs> Barely, don't Barely, exactly. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so Restaurant Solutions is a a restaurant accounting software with operational um, and management services back behind it. Um, It's basically essentially, we essentially combine all the back office work into one easy platform that's web-based, so very easy for owners and managers to be able to have access to it very quickly on the fly, wherever they might be. That really gives them the full transparency and visibility to what's going on with their operations on a weekly basis. What we strive for is making sure that everybody is, um, you know, having that weekly behavior because you have to be proactive to be able to really manage your business. And if you're not getting an accounting, you know, a profit and loss, you know, until two weeks after the end of a month, what are you going to do to make a, you know, decisions on what happened six weeks ago? So being able to have that weekly profit and loss really helps you identify what's going on within the four walls, what areas of opportunity do you need to focus on, and setting up those goals and tactics on a weekly basis and being able to really manage those and make effective, healthy decisions for profitability and operationally. I think one of the things that I really appreciate, we've had you come to our monthly breakfast club with our staff, um, just kind of letting people who don't know about the industry, if you break down $1 in restaurant sales, Break that out into expenses for our listeners. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting how many managers don't really fully understand, you know, the concept behind a financial statement and understanding, okay, you know, they're so used to hearing, hey, you know, food cost is high. You need to be renting a 28% food cost. They don't quite understand 
how to break down a dollar and where all of the money goes. And I think you both probably know how difficult it is to have a, a high margin in the restaurant business, especially in the state of California with the labor you know, laws and things that you're having to contend with and the challenges there. So <clears throat> you know, think of a $1 as 100% of your sales. Um, so from there, you have specific cost categories. Your first cost category is obviously the cost of sales, what you're spending in food and uh, beverage to give out your, you know, what your, your product, et cetera. Um, depending on obviously what type of restaurant you are, um, your cost of sales can vary and especially your sales mix will vary as well. You know, you might have a higher food sales, you might have higher cost of sales uh, because liquor sales are so much less cost than on the food side. Sure. Um, but let's just say average cost of sales, food and beverage combined would be 30 cents of that dollar. So I have a dollar and 30 cents of that dollar goes straight to your cost of goods, all of your food and beverage purchases, et cetera. From there you have the labor, which is <laughs> increasing substantially year over year. Mm -hmm. I think a, a good base to start with in California would be 32 to 35 cents of every dollar. So 35%. So if you've got 30% cost of goods, 35% into labor, that's 65 cents of that dollar you've just spent strictly on prime costs. <clears throat> and that's the things that you basically have control over within the four walls, so to speak. Once you get below prime cost, now you're getting into more of those fixed semi-variable costs, um, and you have different cost categories there. You've got direct operating costs, you know, paper products, kitchen supplies, janitorial supplies, contract cleaning, you know, just the everyday needs of, you know, managing the business. Those usually will tend to be about five cents of every dollar, so 5%. So I've got 35 cents of that dollar left to spend, so now I'm at five cents, uh, so now we're at 30 cents. So you've got advertising, we got a market, we got to bring people into the business. <clears throat> Internal marketing can be things like your comps and discounts and the things that you're doing to provide goodwill of your customers. Um, and then you've obviously got print marketing, social media marketing, things like that that you've got. So you're looking at about three to five cents of every dollar going into advertising. Let's go on the low end with that. I know I'm always telling you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's get that at 3%. Um, so <clears throat> from 30 cents, let's go ahead and subtract out three more cents. So what are we sitting at? Someone's going to have to keep the math for me. 27 cents? Yeah. Yep. All right. So after you've got your direct operating and advertising, then you have just kind of G&A, credit card processing fees, office supplies, bank fees, professional fees, legal and accounting fees. Those are just general and administrative type expenses. They can definitely vary um, for different types of establishments. But let's go ahead and put in, let's say that's another six cents, seven cents of every dollar that you're spending on GNA. So now I'm at 20 cents. Goes quickly, doesn't it? Yep. So now you've got maintenance. Obviously, especially for restaurants that are a little bit older, you're going to have some of that maintenance cost. Let's go 1%. So one cent. So now we're at 19 cents. And then you've got occupancy. And depending on what type of lease that you've negotiated and what that occupancy is, like your cam charges, personal property tax, rent, utilities, water and sewer, telephone, cable, um, it can add up pretty dramatically. And you, typically restaurants will see about eight to 10 cents, 8% to 10% going into occupancy. So that leaves 10 cents left on a good day to your net operating income line. There could be at below your net operating income, then you have other income, miscellaneous income that might be coming in. I know you get, have some miscellaneous income yourself, yep. um, but then you also have other expenses and that's where you also will see that amortization, depreciation, interest expense, those type of things that will hit that other expense line. So by the time it's all said and done, that $1 got broken down to maybe if you're lucky, five to 10 cents on the dollar. Yeah, I think you know it's crazy to look at and Restaurant uh, RSI, you guys take care of 1,600, is that right? Over yeah, 1600 I think it's about 1,600. 1,600 yeah. independent uh, restaurant owners that look to you to help them essentially set up systems to help them run a profitable business. Yeah, we really try and focus on cost-effective solutions for independent operators, kind of bringing that corporate aspect to the smaller independent mom-and-pop operators. We want to give them the ability to really be able to dial in all of their costs and use tools that will help them achieve you know, greater profitability, et cetera. Um, so it, while it is software accounting um, or accounting software, <laughs> It also, there's a lot of education and knowledge that's back behind it. 
we have a lot of direct professionals that have been in the business like myself for many many years um, all of our operations specialists that work directly with our clients have five years plus of high level GM or even higher level experience so we really want to support we consider it a partnership I think that you obviously feel that Sean absolutely we, six years we've been working together on that we really invest in our clients and knowledge is key to that investment helping educate them understanding what they need to do within the four walls to become more profitable is what we're all about we are always looking to help them get to that second you know location third location let's franchise let's you know whatever so it's all about helping our in partnership with our clients and helping them provide the information and the tools that they need to become healthy operators yeah it's just it's crazy because there's just such little money in restaurants and people don't understand that it's <laughs> people think that you know you're a, you're a restaurant owner so you're you make a ton of money and they don't understand it independent growth or independent uh you know um restaurant owner actually makes very very little money until you can get to two three four and five you know and and, and figure out if you want to franchise and he's <clears> talking <throat> millions there ladies and gentlemen yeah <laughs> yeah so it's um you know it's it's crazy that uh you know they have this preconceived um thought that you just you do all you you get to make your own schedule yep. you come in when you want and you make all this money and they don't understand that how hard it is to actually be profitable in a restaurant. I mean, how many restaurants have we seen go in and out of business within the first one or two years? And, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see a lot of restaurant owners make? Well, when you're first opening a restaurant, it's not having enough operating cash to be able to float the restaurant for the first year. I mean, I think that's the biggest uh, situation there. Um, A lot of it too is just, you know, not helping educate your staff too and i think that's something that we've done with your breakfast club helping the employees understand the margins are so small Mm -hmm. you know to your point they're thinking that you're just you know rolling in dough and you know they're not being very proactive um on what they're doing and what how they're affecting your business as well so education of the employees understanding that you need to have a a pretty big base of operating cash to be able to float the first year because you are going to staff heavier in the first opening months to make sure that you're giving great quality and consistency on the service of food. You're going to have higher expenses in the beginning. So you have to make sure that you're prepared for that. Do you think there's a percentage of like what, what percentage of uh, float should they have in the bank to carry for a, a full year? You know, if there like, is there a certain percentage you guys recommend you know, to, to have in the bank for operating costs? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to have at least 50% of what your your trip uh, forecasted sales are going to be. Yeah, that's, that's And a that's lot a lot. Money. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You know, another thing that really happens, too, is, you know, for the smaller operators, you know, let's say they're doing one and a half, two million dollars in top-line sales. And if they're only bringing down, let's say, five cents, five percent of that, that's not very much money. And then what happens is, is they, like, Wait, Sydney, I have 200000 sitting in my bank account. I mean, I mean, on my net profit, on my financial. How come I don't see 200000 in the bank? Right. right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they don't understand that. Well, didn't you have to get a loan? And aren't you paying debt service on that loan? And so cash doesn't always equal profit. And that's another thing that I think new operators really need to understand as well. Depending on what type of loans you have out there and what you go put to get the business to put together, it doesn't necessarily mean that that profit is going to turn into money in the bank. Yeah, we talk, we're, we do a lot different than, than what you guys do at the restaurant, but um, there are a lot of similarities. And educating my staff and my assistant, Abby, at first when she would come in and I'd have to kind of walk her through the progression of what goes goes on. Like you said, just because there's $200,000 in the bank or $400,000 in the bank doesn't mean that's a true number. Right. And our AP and AR and everything that we have to do, we have to implement and put into our QuickBooks and make sure that we know our true number at all times yep. um, <clears throat> is really, really hard for people to understand where, you know, it's like, man, well, sure, we can go do this renovation because we have $400,000 in the bank. Well, it's like, actually, we don't. We have a two hundred in the bank right now. And, <clears throat> you know, we're coming up to Christmas and we have to float the prime ribs that are going to, that's another 140 that are going to come up. Off, off the top, right? That I'm not going to get paid back until uh, New Year's. So you know, you have to make sure that you have those those that money in the bank. And talking about having half of your uh, gross sales is, I mean, that's that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people to make sure that that money is in the bank. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, going to try and help you get through, you know, any ups and downs because you're going to be very busy, you know, it's a new restaurant, everybody's going to check it out, but then sales are going to trend down. And I think that's one of the things that we really focus our education to our clients is understanding cash management. And the reason why it's so important to have a weekly financial statement is because it really helps you understand where your cash is going as well. And you have to manage it. You know that your sales ebb and flow. You're going to have, you know, some restaurants are very seasonal. So you, to what you were saying, Derek, you have to make sure that I might have 400000 in the bank right now, but I know my sales are going to go down in you know, half of what I've been doing over the last three months because I no longer have a patio. So I'm not going to have cash flow coming in. So I need to make sure that I have the cash for my busy months available to float when I'm slower. <laughs> we see that. We do. Um, our biggest months are November, December, just because of prime rib sales and turkey sales. Right. And um, we have to carry flow January, February, March. Yeah. And... Like, uh, you know, Abby was her first year last year. She was all excited. Like, oh, you know, we did so well. I'm like, wait, in March, we'll come, we'll come back and talk. And she's like, well, we can do this. I'm like, we can't do those things yet. Yeah. We, that, that actually helps us float those months that are slower and to keep people on staff, to pay the payroll, to do all those things. So we're not, you know, giving people and taking back, you know, no one wants to be promised 40 hours and then given, you know, 28 hours. You right. know, we want to make sure that you're keeping everyone staffed and, and make the, continue to honor those promises you made. And, <clears throat> you know, then that's when you can get into those, those months that aren't so busy and you can car- start p- creating procedures that help. And throughout the whole year that, you know, make it more of a, a sharp uh, knife. You, you can make sure that everything's just really, really working well. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there any, do you guys just only do restaurants? Do you guys ever do like gro- independent grocery stores or any other uh, industries? Or is it? I mean, I know it says restaurant solutions. But, yeah, we're um, definitely focused. Our our bread and butter is obviously the restaurant side of it. But mm-hmm. we've had um, we've definitely worked with hotels. We've worked with golf courses. Um, we had a Ryan Moore golf course up in Seattle, and all their mm-hmm. three locations too. So we've definitely done other aspects. But we really we want to be able to provide the best service and in. You know, Aces in our places, and our ace is in the restaurants. For yeah. Sure. <clears throat> why? Why do you guys recommend weekly payroll? Well, gosh, there's many reasons for that. Alone in the state of California, because California um, doesn't file federal compliancy, and we're all about compliance. That's one of the other things that RSI really focuses compliance. on. Compliance. That's, that's not fun. That's not the sexy <laughs> stuff, I, right? No. I, um, but <clears throat> we have a full compliance. But it's definitely not sexy to get a compliance bill right. or something for an audit from an agency yeah, saying, like, hey, you a, owe this money. How are you liking your audits? No, right? yeah, not so no. much. And Absolutely not. Employers aren't winning those audits in California Correct. either. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, um, weekly payroll, you know, there's a lot of benefits to weekly payroll. Again, because we're producing a weekly financial statement, that weekly payroll is actually giving you your true and actual labor expense for that week of sales. So it's, very easy to identify every week over week where you might have areas of opportunity to reduce, you know, some of that back of house or front of house operational labor. In addition to that, um, your employees actually prefer to get being paid on a weekly basis as well. So, you know, it's more consistent, et cetera. I also find, um, do you pay credit cards on checks, credit card tips on checks? Not yet. We want to. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. You know, the tide is turning where, employers are starting to pay all the credit card tips on checks yeah um, a lot of that has to do with because employees just don't like to declare their tips so Correct. you you get in trouble because of that absolutely um and you know while in the beginning when employers first started to move to credit card tips on checks you know servers were like no i need my cash to take home now right um but what you find is they actually become a little bit more responsible instead of going out and drinking their cash tips away every single night mm-hmm. you know now they're getting it paid on a payroll check and they're getting a regular payroll and they're not having to try and ask for shifts at the last minute at the end of the month to be able to cover rent you know so you know not only is there a benefit to the employer on the employer well, side they also of it, value the payroll check exactly. I mean, we have instances where people haven't cashed their payroll checks oh, for yeah. months on end and it's like bank it's reconciliation nightmare correct absolutely <laughs> so there's a lot of many reasons for it but for us it's all because Everything that RSI believes in and our philosophy is all about the weekly behavior. Um, you know, being able to produce the financial statements on a weekly basis that give 
a true accurate picture to the owners and the management team on really what their bottom line looks like and where they have areas of opportunity and what they need to focus on. Um, and those financial statements are accurate within two basic points. I mean, it is very to the T accurate because we're doing a weekly payroll. We're accounting for all of the purchases on a weekly basis. We're doing a weekly inventory and then obviously getting that revenue income. And we get all of this information by leveraging technology. So we're really trying to make it very efficient for our clients as well. We don't want the management team sitting in the office doing non-generating revenue activities. We need them on the floor, talking to the guests, educating and training the employees. So everything that we do really makes it effective, comprehensive, um, you know, and easy. All of the, everything that we do is all leveraged by the technology behind it. Where do you see most people are saving when they, when they come with you? Is it labor? Cause I mean, you're in California, you're starting to see, um, more of a fast casual approach for restaurants, yep. which I think is genius and uh, more people need to implement that. Um, but when you guys go in somewhere, what's like the number one thing you guys see where they're, they're, you know, doing wrong and they're, they're going to make more money. You know, is it you guys talking to them about labor? Is it you guys talking to them about fixed costs? Well, I mean, not fixed costs, but you know, it really is actually prime cost. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where they have the most control over what's going on within the four walls. And it, it's 65 cents of every dollar that you make is in the prime cost. Your fixed expenses don't move around as much. Your occupancy is what it is. Right. You know, your general G and A is pretty much the same. Maintenance, you have a little bit of control with preventative maintenance, et cetera, within the four walls. But really, prime cost is where we can find the most money to be gained, you know, to increase that profitability. Cost of goods management, um, ordering practices, um, you know, making, you know, I think it's... I think the order, ordering was huge for us. I it mean, was just getting huge vendor, for you. Getting vendors all accountable. You right. Know, making those vendors accountable was such an important step for us because... Running a restaurant is running a mini factory, and you have all these different people that are coming in and getting the bread guy on to make sure that his invoices are importing, making sure that our U.S. Foods, you know, who's our prime vendor, that all of their right. invoices are importing. But then it gives Eric, our general manager, the tools that he needs to see on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, to see what the fluctuations are because it'll get flagged immediately if prices are going up. Right. And then he can actually go and sit down with one of our vendors and say, hey, what's going on with this? As opposed to the game that restaurant owners used to have to play and kitchen managers used to play, which is you'd have Cisco and U.S. Foods coming in and you know then they're undercutting one price for six weeks and then next thing you know, right. you're paying you know 20% more for toilet paper. Um, but you wouldn't be able to know that because unless you're you know, have the digital tools that RSI right. provides. So you guys, you guys input every single thing? Everything gets imported over, actually. Uh, we, How does that happen? So work? all the invoices are digitally scanned into the RSI software, and it's line item out. So every single food and beverage invoice literally has every single line item line item out and GL distributed. The reason for this is so we can get really solid analytics to increase and decrease in prices on every single one of your products. This also allows us the opportunity to be able to digitally and you know automated where all of those purchase prices update electronically to the inventory count sheets. So there's no manual human error of changing you know prices and updating it to your last purchase price. It's all automated. And it also helps you track all of your spending. Um, we have a decline spending budget that most of our clients utilize that helps them understand day over day how much they've spent how much they need to spend at, uh, you know for level of sales to hit and achieve you know those targeted cost goals they're looking for so there's a lot of different things behind it yeah I mean the, the amount of tools that we have accessible that you know we probably are using 70% of the tools available, but the tools that we do use have allowed us to stay in business. Yeah, and you have gotten more profitable in the last Absolutely. six years as well. There's Absolutely. no question, because you were in the red when you first came on with us. Absolutely. <clears throat> and a lot of our clients are, and then, mm -hmm. you know, and then they use the tools and they listen to the education that we provide. And, you know, there's so much support behind it, not well, only operationally, but on the it goes back to the too. partnership side. I mean, there's so many different people that get into the restaurant business and some people have an accounting background. Some people are chefs, some people, right. you know, are marketing people. And for me, that's that's just not who I am. That's not how my brain works. That's why Derek's been such a great partner for me is because that's what he does great. He's great with numbers. That's why Eric's great for me is because he's great with numbers. You know, for me, that's not my strength, but bringing on RSI and having this, not only the support internally, but the experience, right. you know, and the experience to know that you guys 
not only are taking care of us as a single unit restaurant, but the 1600 restaurants that you have, we can look as an industry and say, hey, this is what's happening in California. This is what's happening in the United States. Let's prepare for that and let's adjust. And some of the things, some of the tools that we had to use, they were a, fu- they were a fucking pain in the ass to use. <laughs> like the menu engineering, there's nothing sexy about me going and getting a yield on how much this you know recipe is going to make. But I went through every fucking item you with did. Gene and it took us... God, it took us forever to do, but it was one of the best things that we did because it's just numbers. I don't have to go off my gut feel of, oh, I really like this hamburger. Like, hey, it doesn't sell or it's not profitable. Either we're going to change the price of of this hamburger or we're going to get it off the menu. Right. Rethink, replate, reprice, Mm -hmm. all of those. Yep. And it can be time consuming, especially with some of those more advanced tools that we offer like menu engineering, but being able to get theoretical versus actual every single week because we're getting your product mix data we know exactly what you've sold and then also being able to provide item and variance as well you know i own every single ingredient i know how much you should have used i know what you actually use so what happened to the rest of it Mm -hmm. that's good i mean that's that's accountability right yeah which goes to theft right Oh yeah, I mean, you know all about theft, don't you? Yeah. What did you What did you do? You You did a, a case study for us. You know, I, I find it interesting how many restaurants are not aware of what's actually happening with their four walls. And I told Sean that there was no question I could walk into his restaurant and be able to steal ribeye or brisket or right out of his freezer, and no one would stop me. And right. I proved him right. Yeah. <laughs> Walked uh, right in. Watch, right? I even talked to a, a cook. I'm like, hey, where's the freezer? And he's like, over there. Uh, he has no idea who I am. Right. I walked in, grabbed the ribeye, turned around, walked out. No one stopped me. It's so funny because you, I mean, you go over things like that. And I remember when we, when we first opened, we were so adamant about teaching not just our managers, but our staff of making sure that someone had a badge and that they were <laughs> identified before they went to the back. But, you know, if we're blatantly honest about it. I mean, we haven't done that training with any of our staff recently or any of our managers. And yeah, pretty much anyone can go into the back of the restaurant right? and be like, oh, I'm looking for Sean. Like, well, that's great. So I ran, <laughs> He's not here. I know. Get the fuck out of the kitchen. <laughs> I ran a barbecue chain um, down in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, and our freezers were in the outside back of the restaurant. And I couldn't... Locked? Talk- well, supposedly <laughs> they should have been locked. Right. But how many times did I go and visit those restaurants and the padlock was not locked? And well, it's any- more convenient. Of course, it's, yeah, it's, it's easier so for me easier. to. Get, it's easier for me to get the stuff. Yeah, but anyone could walk through, and there was a homeless par- uh, problem right by one of our locations, and they just walked off with all of our meat. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's well, a shit, combination. Shit, I keep mine things. open. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying I could uh, come and steal you could. the farm? <laughs> Derek, I don't have much. Derek has a lot of trust. I yeah. don't know if it's trust or more of a dare. Like I dare you to go into my truck. I wish a motherfucker would. I, I don't. I don't wish someone do that. Does don't really. That. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just you know naive to all that. That, but I mean. What are you gonna take? You're gonna take some of my ice. You're gonna take a fucking cake. Like we, we have like th- <laughs> we take thon serve shit. Like if you really need it that bad, bud. Take it. You know what I mean? like, take it. It's uh, you know. But I, I get it. You know, we could definitely run a tighter ship here. Um, just in the back back door, people walking in. Well, and you think about it. It could just it could be your delivery drivers too. Yeah, you know they're unloading the truck. They see all you know. This well, I mean, if you think about it, if you if you go back to one of the things that frustrates me and Eric, my general manager, the most is when our alcohol vendors they try to run a special, um, like they get incentivized to bring on some new product. So they tell us, oh yeah, if you buy let's three kegs of Pacifico, Yellow we're going to bring you this special bottle of tequila. We don't want the fucking special <laughs> bottle of tequila. We just want the good price on Pacifico all the time. But instead, they're coming into the walk-in and they're dropping off some product that we haven't signed for right. so that they can get bonus. And you're like, fuck this guy. And now you just depleted your cash Correct. because now you've got inventory sitting at a high level That we can't as return. Well, that you can't return. Correct. So now you're tied up all of your cash sitting on your shelves. See, I think about it oppositely. Like, I think... For me, when my sales guy, we tend to have really good relationships with them, um, and we do a ton of beer sales and wine sales and liquor sales, um, and they all know us, and they're like, dude, Derek, hey, I need your help. Like, we need a, I need to hit this number, and I'm like, I'll take them all, right. but you need to take care of me, and we're a, a relationship-based company where it's like, okay, I took your 10 cases of, of Dos Equis that you had to get rid of and make a sale and I'll sell them. I'll put them out at, right. you know, a few, you know, 20% higher or lower or whatever, and I'll, I'll get them gone. And, um, 
But then the next time there's something that's allocated, like you said, you don't care about that bottle of tequila. I fucking care. Right. I really want that bottle of tequila. Just like we got the Mitchters 20 year. It's going for $6,000 a bottle. We're one of only 20 um, grocery stores in California that got one of the bottles because that's just a relationship based thing. Right. And so, you know, it's a push pull. I get it. But they're not always trying to just fuck you over. They, if you create that relationship with them, they can actually do something for you that can benefit your business that the other barbecue restaurant can't have. Right. Well, you can't go get that tequila somewhere else. So that it separates you that way. You're like, hey, I can serve this tequila that you guys can. It's, I actually like it, to be honest. I completely agree with you on that front, too. You know, there is something to be said for both, you know, but if you are having cash flow problems, if you aren't making a lot of money and you have a very small margin, then, you know, making sure that you're not over-purchasing and just carrying a lot of extra product because you can't move it as quickly as, say, you might be able to, you know, might be something to think about. There's something to be said with both. But what you really said that resonates with me so much is that relationship and that trust and that partnership. Right. Um, That's key in all of the relationships that you have with your Mm -hmm. vendors. And if you don't have that, um, and that goes for us too, that's what we're all about, building that trust, building that relationship, building that partnership. So, you know, I think once you've got that in play, then you should be pretty good to go. I mean, that's something that Derek's talked about, and I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but every single person that we have a relationship with in the restaurant, you don't know when you're going to need something, you know, that, I mean, even if it's a linens, you know, we've had times where, we had a linen company and hey, I needed I needed a, a tablecloth. It's Mother's Day and you know, we didn't order enough tablecloths and the manager's going down to Little Italy and bringing it out to us yeah. on a Saturday. That's only going to happen because we've treated we've we've treated each other with respect. Absolutely. You know, and Der- Derek's talked about multiple times where he, you know, had to intervene and step up and be like, "Hey, this is our business. Like I recognize that you're a driver, but please don't park in our parking lot, you know, at four o'clock on Friday afternoon, the way that you're parking, because we have other people that are trying to get in and out of here. Yeah. It's a given, it's it's a give and take. I'm a firm believer in your point needs to get across. It's just how you say it. Yeah. And my uncle, when we were here, the biggest thing that I hated with him is just that he felt he was better than everybody else. Or if a driver came up and said, hey, you know, I got this order for you. And he'd be like, hey, I'll be there. I got four other things I got to do. I'll be there in, in, in 10 minutes. Well, you might be there in 10 minutes, but you got to say, hey, bud, I'll be right, I'll be right there. I'm just going to do this real quick and I'll, I'll get there as fast as I can. It's the way you say those things. And he just would always make them feel as if they weren't uh, as good as him. And mm-hmm. I hated that. I hate when people try to put people down, when they suppress people, and I'm like, "Look, dude, I'll do whatever I can to make you. I know you got a route to do. Let let me let me get after it for you." Well, guess what? Next time that guy, I need a favor from that guy. He's gonna work his ass off to get to do it for me because I always try to take care of him. And you know, we didn't have that when I first started here with my some uncle. of our he, he some just, of our best customers are drivers that come that come and bring food to food or beer or something to the restaurant, right. and they they absolutely love. The fact that we treat them like humans and we treat them like partners, you know, they come in and we actually have a conversation with them. The um, Crest driver, he used to be our driver forever. He left or he got a different route and he came back one day and it was busier than shit. He parked on the street, put cones out because he didn't want to be in the parking lot because he saw how busy we were. I went up to the cashier, got a $50 gift card, gave it to him and bought him lunch. He comes in now all the time mm-hmm. outside of, there you go. of you know, outside of work. And just because we created a relationship, I appreciate what he did. That, that really helped not having to be out there for 20 minutes, hurrying everybody up, getting three employees out there, getting them down stacked, creating a, a log jam in our parking lot. And But just show appreciation. Just do that. Treat them, like you said, like humans. And, and it will go so much further than just being a dick to them. So I would love to talk about your upper level um, role that you're in now, because uh, we've brought you on. Uh, you were our trainer way back in the day, which we were very fortunate. Um, but you've progressed within the company, and now we've kind of brought you in on a higher level CFO role for us. Yes. Um, but you also do that for other clients. So w- when the clients sign up with RSI, they get a dedicated team assigned to them. They get an accountant, a general accountant, an accounting clerk. They also have a tax specialist that's going to be handling all of their tax um, taxes, paying all their sales tax payments, payroll taxes, etc. A bank rec specialist that will be doing all of their bank reconciliation. 
and then the operations specialist that really is their the client's go-to person the person that they work with from day one that is going to not only train them on how to utilize the site and set it all up but then also gives that education factor on okay now that you're up and rolling let's take a look at your financials let's try and you know figure out what goals and tactics we need to set into place to make you more profitable um, I was an operations specialist with RSI for six years, um, and I took a brief hiatus to uh, be a chief operating officer for a private equity group based out of Del Mar, actually, 130 restaurant uh, group, 23 states, eight different concepts, pretty major. Um, and I came back to RSI about 11 months ago as a client advisor. Basically, we wanted to offer more to our clients you know as i mentioned it's all about that partnership and an investment and we wanted to add another layer of services to our clients for our clients to help them get to that next level um, a lot of our clients are small independent operators that are looking to expand and maybe get to their second or third location um, so but they may not know how to get to it or they may not know how to build a pro forma or maybe they want to reconcept or rebrand their existing establishment. So we added our uh, client advisor consulting services, um, being able to give our clients some higher level strategic engagements that really drive to what they're looking for and what their needs are, um, you know, over and above what our normal uh, services are. So with what I'm doing with you, um, I've come in as your chief operating officer, chief, you know, financial officer, kind of doing a oversight on your audits and auditing your financial statements, helping you identify exactly where your areas of opportunity in your specific location are, um, and helping implement those goals and tactics, and then seeing what those measurable sure. outcomes are at the end of each period, which we have a financial review on Thursday, so we'll see sure. how that turns out. Well, <laughs> well, it's exciting for Eric and myself, um, because we've been with RSI for so long, but it goes back to why I like RSI to begin with, is it holds us accountable. Right. And the accountability side makes us and forces us to have that trickle down effect where it's not just I'm accountable, it's not just Eric's accountable, but now our managers are accountable to that financial statement. And you've helped us implement bonus programs for our managers so that they can start running and understanding that dollar that we were talking about in the beginning. That dollar is only right. going to happen if we hit these goals. Right. And it's actually been real effective. In the three months that we've implemented your bonus structure, um, you've actually seen improvements in all of your prime costs. Mm -hmm. And they actually almost came to hit a full bonus last period almost, as well. Yeah, and absolutely. They, I haven't looked at this year, week's numbers yet, but uh, I think you might be close to this period as well. So there's already been, you know, a huge shift and, you know, not only in their knowledge and their perception of what they need to do within the four walls, but with yourself too. What, I mean, is there different packages that you guys offer? Does everybody that <clears throat> get yeah. RSI get you? <laughs> they wish. Yeah. <laughs> I can only We're relationship-based. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we take care of Sydney and okay. make sure she takes care of us. We have uh, five client advisors in our department, um, and it's not just one package. It's really depending on what the client is looking for. You know, So there's different levels of engagements. Um, if they're just looking for someone to come in and they want to open a new location, they need a pro forma built out, that might just be a one-time thing that will work with that client and you know build out that pro forma and get that into place. Um, or it might be an, an annual engagement, like I'm working with Sean. I meet with them you know, on a period-end basis and do a full financial review and auditing on a, a period-end basis. Um, it might just be um, a one-time like setting up a budget. It's shocking how many restaurant owners don't have budgets. And so what your first question was is what should new restaurant Right. operators have please have a budget yeah for sure <laughs> um so you know it's all different kinds of different engagements that we offer and it really is just uh we build that engagement um around what the client is looking for yeah i think you know it's it's intimidating to think that our team that we rely on is in colorado but once you get over that intimidation and you realize that all the tools all the things that we've been taught allow us to implement it on a digital side every single day, right. but we also have the support of brilliant people that have been in the industry for that long that are able to answer us within a second right. of what, what we need and what we have to do to run our restaurant. And your restaurant people, I mean, that we was, are. that we was all the, come from restaurant people. you know, I'll, I'll always remember when we were going, picking between micros or Aloha for our POS system. And, you know, they sold us on Aloha because it was 
built by restaurant people. It was built <laughs> right. by hostesses, servers, managers, all the people that have used the POS right. system, which was like, well, hey, that makes more sense for us. And at RSI, those people have been in the industry. You've run restaurants, you've been managers, you've been servers, you've been bartenders. You guys get what we go through as owner operators. And the client advisors actually have an even higher level experience um, that we bring to the table. If they haven't actually owned their own restaurants, then they've had C-level employees as well. Um, you know, because we will do lease negotiations and banking strategies and capital investment strategies and unit rebranding and brand equity reviews and things like that. So it's very high level on the, the consulting side of things. It's probably got to be hard for some restaurants to get out of their own way. I think a lot of times people... <laughs> wow. You know, you, there's no restaurant operators. Wow. Well, I mean, just, you know, You're absolutely right. Just to, to delegate and be able to say, okay, I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm, I don't... I don't know it all. I'm in the red, like you know you alluded to. It's you know hard to be able to take a step out and say I need help. Well, know? and how many of them are people that actually haven't ever owned or operated a restaurant before that want to get into it? You know, I can't. I can count on a hundred hands how many people owners I've worked with that. Oh, I was in the construction business and I would really love to own a restaurant. So let's do this. Right. <laughs> so. Those are the ones that definitely need the most help because, as you both know, it's blood, sweat, and tears in this business. You know, yeah. I, I joke sometimes, like, "What? You want to open a restaurant? Really? Right. Are, are you sure?" <laughs> I mean, conceptually, it's just so hard, right? I mean, the the, the old restaurant is, is, you know, it's gone. That yeah. that model just doesn't work anymore. We're talking about uh, wages going up, and the thirty five percent that makes me want to fucking throw up. By the way. <laughs> If I had to run 35% of the grocery store, we'd be out of business. Um, but it's it's uh, it, it's incredible. I that, keep telling him that. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, seriously. I mean, but, you know, people are like Sean that are independent. Uh, they're allowed to pivot. So he can figure out what's working, what's not working with the help of you and kind of saying, okay, we have other people that are doing this and this is how they're getting their labor down. Here's what you need to do. And, you know, to, for Sean to say, okay, like let's do it you know well and that's the other layer that we have to offer as well you know because we have been doing the financials for 1600 clients we also have all the data from them too so we're able to actually take all of that data and be able to crunch the analytics to be able to tell you okay well in the state of california the average back of house labor for barbecue restaurants doing two and a half million to three and a half million is a you know Mm -hmm. so that's also something that's very beneficial for our clients because we can really help them understand where the average is where is the industry standard where do you you know based off of their sales mix and their concept you know and what their pricing structure etc you know what they can expect in all those margins so would you recommend um, doing more of a fast casual approach if you were gonna start a restaurant right now well in California absolutely I mean you said it from the beginning right the quick Uh, fast casual is the way to go every single thing that's opening right now is some form of counter go up to the counter and order it and then go sit down you know it's reducing labor labor as much as possible because you know costs of goods are you know pretty much going to be the same you know they are what they are Um, labor you have the most control over but it's harder and harder to control labor especially in california you know i go to texas and yeah they're running 25 26 percent labor well you know their servers are still getting paid two dollars and 13 cents an hour right you know it's interesting (laughs) that eric and i actually just had this conversation a couple days ago about just full service restaurants and thinking about our own experiences with some of the issues that we have training staff some of the issues that there's so many things that can go wrong in a full service experience yes and if you think about you know just the times that you've gone out recently how easy is it to mess up the order you know and then that one little thing changes that whole entire experience yeah you know but if you go to a fast casual it's much easier to i I don't know if you tend to we tend to be more forgiving you are i think you are more because you see everything happening in front of you and like you know it's like oh well maybe i messed up and i didn't communicate it and you didn't necessarily get service yes correct so you know i i think it is a different perception on that it is it's uh (laughs) it's interesting but for us we're i mean we're definitely grateful um that rsi that we found rsi that you know that those all those articles that we read on restaurant owner and restaurant startup magazine that said if you want to run a profitable restaurant you better get weekly financials um absolutely we knew that we couldn't get weekly financials by ourselves so um, thankfully eric found uh restaurant solutions actually one of his 
buddies in Maine was running a place in uh, in Maine, a, a breakfast place that was using RSI. So oh. from Maine to was all the way out to Spring Valley. Was it a bed and breakfast? I don't know if it was egg, egg Spectations, okay, maybe. Yeah, we had a bed, bed and breakfast up there, Possibly. too. Possibly. But yeah, they turned us on to you. And um, when Ted, who's been on this podcast, uh, Ted over at Wheaton Water... When he was oh, opening up his water, place, yeah. he asked oh, yeah. he asked I me for him. advice, and I said the first thing I, adv- I advised him was get with get with Restaurant Solutions. And he did. If you're a guy like me, then you need to get with Restaurant Solutions. I worked with him from the very beginning. <clears throat> absolutely. So, um, you know, the other thing, real quick, to think about on the labor front too, is the depletion of the workforce. Yep. You're these days it's getting harder and harder to find those employees oh 100 percent. it's it's incredible we we look at it all the time where it's like look we're losing more and more people to uber and lyft all the time thank you yeah and and because they can make their own schedules mm-hmm. and work when they want and, and, and make the money um the economy is doing really really well right and yeah. the construction and all that stuff's going you know i have one of my best friends josh next gen building group i mean he's paying people I mean, I don't mean to put his business out there, but hundreds of thousands of dollars to come in and he can't find fucking people. Okay. That's that's insane to me. You yeah. took it right out of my mouth. And it's like, man, and, and just these people that are just doing labor, you know, yeah. he's paying prevailing wage at $45 an hour. What the fuck? No, that's, I, I, I know. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do that. Because you can't find anyone. So what happens right. is, is like, normally you might pay a dishwasher $11, $12 an hour, mm-hmm. but because there's such a high demand for it now, now they're like, sorry, I can go down the street and get $14 or yep. $15 Absolutely. an hour. Right. So you're, com- now labor is just exponentially. It your perform up, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a huge factor and also a reason why people are going to the fast casual quick service method because they just can't I mean there's stories every single day that restaurants are closing because they can't find enough staff to run it yeah what, what was it um what's that taco place tacos El Gordo yeah in Chula Vista they uh-huh. literally closed for like three weeks and they put a, a sign out there and they are so busy there's lines out the door wow. and they put a sign out there that said sorry we cannot serve you we cannot find good help there was a longtime restaurant in Denver called White uh, White Fence Farms. Um, it was actual farm, but they had uh, served the best fried chicken. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but a few months ago, they had to close down for a couple of days because they didn't have staff. Their staff no called, no showed. Oh, and that's a normal thing now. Like oh, you, yeah. you don't even get t- fired for no call, no show anymore. It's like no. <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't even open the restaurant, and then it's just uh, they just announced that they're having to close the doors now. I mean, permanently. It's just you can't find good help. Yeah, I mean, for us, Derek and I, we, we're always trying to find ways to engage our staff and to keep them. I mean, that's why we do Breakfast Club. That's why we, um, you have to care about people. And yes. You have to care about something bigger than yourselves. And um, while it might not be glorious to wash dishes, um, the people that understand that if they come in at even at an entry level, um, that Derek and I are going to fight like hell to find extra opportunity for them. And we have people like D walls that he was way too qualified to come work at Cali comfort, but he said he would work his dishes. And now he's working with Derek over here and he's pit master. I mean, he's, I'm so proud of him for his humility and his willingness to do whatever it takes. And we have a lot of people like that on both of our teams at Cali and at Valley. And those are the things that drive us because, you know, Industry is changing. Yeah. Things are changing, and our job is, as leaders is to have these discussions, um, not shy away from them, and not think. Th- I mean, we can't be blockbuster. We can't be Toys right. R Us. Um, we have to continue to evolve, and we have to continue to fight because there's one thing that we all love, and that's hospitality, whether it's on the grocery side, whether it's on the restaurant side. Um, people love to get taken care of, right. and I love to get taken care of. I love to go out and be taken care of. Um, they do. Until it's at a cost. Correct. Correct. <laughs> right. You know. Until you have to raise prices, which I think we're going to be doing. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's literally what we're running into, too. Yeah. Just with the cashiers and the, you know, Whole Foods getting bought by Amazon. They have Amazon Go. They're getting rid of all cashiers. It's going to be automated. You check yourself out. They have an algorithm set up where you just throw shit in your fucking bag and walk out. And you swipe your phone and you don't have to deal with anybody. Yeah. Well, that's great. But you, have, you create no experience. Yeah. So... Hopefully, there's people that still want the experience, and they still want the hospitality, and they'll come in, and they'll understand that, yes, my prices are a little bit higher. But they're going to be willing to pay for it, because well, we there's value so. behind it. <laughs> and I think with both for, for both of your establishments, the thing that's really strong um, is your culture, and that's what's so key, and that's what really 
another point for someone that wants to open up a new business, you have actually pretty low turnover. Yeah. And it's because of the culture that you're building into the, you know, inside your four walls. And it's how your employees feel when they come to work for you. And it's the environment that you pr- give to them. And your Valley Farms is stunning. Yeah. Thank you know, you. so people will continue to come back even with Whole Foods. And trust me, I'm not ordering off of Amazon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how do people get in touch with Restaurant Solutions? I know you guys have uh, gotten more aggressive on social, which I appreciate. I'm going to be part of a digital panel tomorrow, but we'll put that in the show notes um, at Restaurant Solutions. Yeah, Inc. <clears throat> at Restaurant Solutions, Inc. Um, so you can find us online. Um, you can give us a call. Uh, our phone number, direct phone number is 303-458-1204. We are located in Littleton, Colorado. That is where our main headquarters are. However, we do have a satellite office, obviously, in Chicago and have quite a few remote employees like myself. I get lucky to work in San Diego. <laughs> and please don't send me home to Denver quite yet. Right. Um, <clears throat> um, but... Uh, we can also provide uh, links to our site as well. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes, restaurantaccountingservices.com. Um, that's the website, the client, the marketing-facing website. Uh, we are grateful for your time. Thank you. Uh, we do have a social shout-out uh, every week. Uh, those of you that are following along the podcast, hashtagging behind the smoke. Um, this is Man Dose BBQ, um, Armando out of Houston, Texas. He has been hashtagging his uh, slow smoke chicken, um, husband, father of three, backyard barbecue, self-taught stick burner, uh, man dose barbecue, also hashtag potty mouth barbecue. I don't know what that's all about, but we're down with it. Thank you for following the show. We're going to send you out a behind the smoke mug. Um, happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Subscribe to the podcast and uh, follow RSI. Thank you, Sydney. Thank, Thank you, you Sydney. So much. Appreciate having me. Hey guys, this is Sean and Derek, and we just really want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It means the world to us. We'd like you to go check out BehindTheSmokeMedia.com. That's our website where we have barbecue resources for you to help build your barbecue business. Uh, We also have events listed, so anything that's happening in the West Coast barbecue movement, uh, anything that's going on, we want you to go check that out so you can learn more and get involved. We also have show notes uh, from all the episodes, so anything we talked about in the episodes, you can find detailed show notes there. Um, Plus, you can just get in touch with us. It's important that uh, we're here as a resource for you, so please reach out. Let us know how Derek and I can help you with your barbecue journey. Uh, Get involved, stay curious, and uh, follow us on social at Barbecue War Stories. Uh, We'll talk to you soon.